throws it alley. Oh! Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show for Thursday, November 30th, end of the month here. And welcome to your new favorite twice-weekly podcast, YouTube show covering all things basketball. It's NBA, WNBA, all of that and everything you could want in the world of hoops. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean, part of the Just Sports Network here. I want to say about one great partner we have, and that's our friends at Thrive Fantasy Thrive Fantasy is a player prop DFS platform where you can pick more or less on your favorite players across multiple sports, including the NBA and NFL. Sign up today with our code JustBasketball, all one word, all caps, and Thrive will match your first deposit up to $250. Back end of the show, we're going to have our guy, Brad Rowland, come through and talk about the state of the Eastern Conference. That's going to be a great conversation with Brad. I think you guys will enjoy his analysis and and a lot of Indiana Pacers talk. I somehow ended up talking much too much about the Detroit Pistons, but we are who we are. You know, I am who I am. But Brad, we have, or excuse me, Brendan, excuse me, another B. We actually have some very big NBA business news to start off with. That Mark Cuban is going is selling a large share of his control of the Dallas Mavericks. But he is going to stay as the governor of the team and be in charge of basketball operations. This feels very much like a business deal to get them some more access to gambling infrastructure if and when sports betting becomes legal in the state of Texas. But this is a really big deal that Mark Cuban, the most visible owner in the league, I would argue, is is in this phase of his life where he is both leaving Shark Tank, which also was announced this week, and he's selling a big stake in, in, the, in the Dallas Mavericks. What, what was your reaction to this? Yeah, I think our minds went in a similar place, but maybe a, a couple of different tentacles for each of us. I mean, my my thought is this is this type of deal, this type of arrangement, this view of sports as oh, it's it's real estate, it's entertainment conglomerations, it's not just this like thing we go watch athletes do a few times a week. It's pretty common in a lot of other countries, right? Like, I always think of the most common example of this, or not the most common, the most high profile in basketball to me is women's basketball. We think of, you know, the, it's well known among WNBA fans and American basketball fans at this point that like a lot of these WNBA players go overseas in the off season and they make more money. And I think a lot of people like kind of leave it at that. The reason that they make so much more money there is because a lot of those teams are set up in in that type of way. The YMMC Ekaterinburg, where Brittany Griner was playing when she was detained, where Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird went when they had the gangster owner that, that ESPN did a story and podcast series on and, and whatever. That team is so rich because the people who own it basically treat it as entertainment for the workers for... Or the, I, I think it's like some sort of manufacturing, like steel or oil or something like that company that they own. It's like, hey, come do this after work. Watch these incredible athletes perform and compete. And we're dominant. We're the best team. Like have have like corporate pride, right? And like, I don't think Mark Cuban and, and Sheldon Adelson, Miriam Adelson are going to that level. It's still going to be a basketball team. It's still going to be the NBA, whatever. But this idea of like, it's a real estate endeavor. It's a, it's a gambling project. It's an extension of what we're doing with, with the Sands Resort in Vegas and all this other stuff that it seems like they were excited about. 
it sounds crazy to us, but it's really not crazy. And it, it doesn't necessarily surprise me that Mark Cuban, of all people, would have the foresight to say, like, I still like the perks of being involved with this thing. But if I can get some money and these guys want to do it this way, okay, sign me up. Well, and the fact that ownership, this ownership is coming in, and it's not like other ownership situations where it, it's like you're, the situation in Phoenix, I think, is a good point of comparison. The new, And that was obviously there's other stuff going on there that led to the sale of that team, obviously. That's not what is going on here, although that Dallas has had some real uh, issues in, in certain, with certain things during the Cuban era that's, that shouldn't be overlooked. This is clearly like a business thing that is trying to amplify what Dallas is. And and if you're Mark Cuban, and this is where my my brain went with it more than anything else over after you and I initially talked about it, is what has been the, the, the hardest thing for Mark Cuban to do as an owner the last decade, decade and a half? It has been to bring free agents to Dallas. It is to make his team, which is in a big market, and to stay with no income tax that has had great players. It has been really hard dare I say, impossible to him to bring the best talent that he isn't drafting into his organization. What I think this feels like is they're trying to get a new arena. That has been reported by Mark Stein, who has been on top of the story more than anybody else over on his Substack. There's been that. There has been, there's the betting infrastructure. It is to bring more money, more appeal, more resources into organization that I think has higher aspirations than what they've been in recent years. And this is the way you do it. This isn't you know, it's not the, to the extreme of, hey, we took UAE investment or we took Saudi Arabian investment or, or something like that. But what this is, is giving yourself an infrastructure to amplify something that is just a part of our sports culture now and monetize it as best you can. And then I, I would assume try to reap the competitive advantages you get from having all this more money in there. I think that's where we end up with this. Yeah, we should mention uh, sports betting is not currently legal in Texas. So I saw a a story or maybe it was just a post online that was asking the question, is this the most lucrative lobbying endeavor in like American history? Like going so far as to spend billions of dollars on a sports franchise just in order to put pressure on the Texas government to say, hey, we're, we're deep pocketed new owners of the second biggest team in the state behind the Cowboys like we want to make this happen let's get a bill passed and I don't know if you saw this Chris that um, Miriam Adelson who is technically the one purchasing the team I believe she sold 10% of her stake in their company to accrue two billion dollars cash in order to get this deal done imagine 10% of your stake in something something being worth two billion dollars and then just casually throwing that over to another huge company to just buy up the majority of it and and it's just kind of chump change it's it's crazy but i mean the other thing i think this this maybe pivots us into is you mentioned the phoenix sale there was also the bucks sale there's going to be more team more owners that i think want to cash out now and i think that even though the the new tv deal is expected to be pretty lucrative Mark Cuban himself on the same interview on All the Smoke with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson where he talked about leaving Shark Tank said he openly said he's worried about the next TV deal. He said he expects this one to be short and then but but big and and financially viable and everything else, but if it is shorter, the next one might come up sooner than expected and that one he said he's a little bit worried about because by that point the TV cable 
ecosystem. Who knows what's going to be the case with that anymore. And also franchises are just super valuable right now. And so I think if you bought at 300 million or so like, like Cuban did, even though we think of him as being so fundamental to the NBA, like it, it's not crazy to me that he would sell. And it's just going to be fascinating to see what type of arrangements these billionaires come up with to buy it. Because like Matt Ishbia here in Phoenix, he bought Robert Sarver's proportion of the team and some unknown amount beyond that where some of the minority owners we know sold to him but a lot of the minority owners that were in place when when sarver was around still are around and they have a sort of action clause in the the sale agreement where they can decide that they want to now sell and matt ishpia has to try to come up with that money get another minority owner to buy in to take up that if he doesn't have that cash. And even this guy in mortgage business who's you know richer than our wildest dreams could ever imagine, he had to like really cobble together a package in order to buy a team. It's it's so it's it's it boxes a lot of people out how much these teams cost. And so the creativity of these deals doesn't surprise me either. I think we're going to see more of it. It's either this or you take overseas money, and particularly money from a certain portion of the world. And mm-hmm. what that looks like and how complicated that could get, I think, is is a conversation that. Well, and it already happened, right? The Washington money. Wizards did it. Yeah, but I think there's a big. I think if it happens on a bigger scale, and it's like, hey, like the Saudi Arabian government, uh, the or the the investment fund bought 25% of the Memphis Grizzlies or something, mm-hmm. and then there's like uh, Riyadh Seasons, the jersey sponsor patch, then I think you're going to get much more complicated conversations than you might have had about the Wizards and the, the UAE investment we've seen so far, would be my guess. Yeah, no, it, the Wizards is, a, is small potatoes compared to where we could be headed, but it just shows we're there already in terms of acceptance, and it's legally allowed by the NBA when it wasn't previously, or maybe it was, but they sort of went out of their way to emphasize like this is a thing, you don't They're, publicize do that if you don't want it to happen. Yeah, they do the preseason games over there like this is this is coming and this is yeah, I think you're going to it wouldn't shock me if there are other ownership groups like and particularly owners that have been around a long time like it wouldn't shock me at some point in the future, Brendan, like if Dan Gilbert still controls the franchise but takes on investment in some way or smaller. I think particularly smaller market teams could be open to this because they're just going to where the money comes from for them with TV deals with what's going on with Diamond Sports and the whole Bally thing for those markets is going to be a, a game-changing financial thing. But this is going to be continue to be a big story. Let's keep an eye on it, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it more once we know more. And look, this, there's, there could be some basketball effects as well once we know how this is going to affect someone like Luka Doncic. All right, let's go to Slop of the Week. We've got some juicy Golden State Warriors slop, Brendan. They're a team in a real struggle right now. Draymond's back, but he's already having issues... This is about Clay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins, though. Let's start with Clay. Thompson started the season. Kendra Andrews reports it feels different is what she wrote. His contract negotiations are weighing on him, sources told ESPN, and he appears to be noticeably more frustrated during games. He sometimes sits on the end of the bench by himself during timeouts or slaps his head after taking a back shot. Brennan, it's been tough to watch Clay, a player that I love, a player that whose energy and, and kind of look on life to me is just fantastic. But this has been a really poor start to the season for him. And it wouldn't shock me if him this it really is weighing on him as this kind of reporter. This feels like something that can't just go away. This feels like something that's here for the words to grapple with now as we go here. 
it makes me sort of laugh uh, to a degree how much Andrew Wiggins seemed to respond to this report on Tuesday night oh, against he? the Kings. Now, the Warriors, yeah, I mean, 29 points, 10 rebounds, 11 of 18 from the field. I thought there was a quote that maybe I, that I missed, but he did. No, I, I just mean on on the court, like it, it very much seemed like he 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 saw this. He maybe he knows who who leaked it. Maybe what what's in this report in terms of of Wiggins um, missing two months and not taking the time to get back into shape. I, I know you wanted to start with Clay. I, I tend to just agree with you about Clay. Like Bob Myers said before the season or right away early in the season, this is why I left Golden State because this was looming. Like, I think the Clay thing is unavoidable once they did not come to terms on that yeah. extension and his his decline continued. But Wiggins, to me, it's like, so you can do this. You know, like, so do it. Like, I, I know I whatever he was dealing with personally, I don't think we'll ever know. It might just mean that it was mental health or something like that. If if it's not out now, you know, the, the passing of a relative or a, I, those things tend to eventually come out. And if they don't, I tend to think it's maybe a little more complicated than that. It doesn't really matter. I don't want to overlook that. But at the same time, he's getting paid a lot of money. He's a big part of what their team needs to be to be its best. And if he can do this and it takes a, a nudge like this to get him there, part of me just feels like... I guess a little bit of optimism that it can be fixed and he can get back into the the form that he was during their title run. But also, I honestly think from a Wigan standpoint, Chris, it's like if that's the case and the Warriors are the only team, I mean, he's only played on two, but gating back to Kansas, the only team that's ever been able to get this type of winning basketball and style from him, what's type of trade options would they even have like they're sort of stuck with the bed that they've made for themselves here and they just have to hope that some tough love or, or patience or whatever you know heart-to-heart conversations or i don't know it takes with wiggins is going to be what it what what ends up getting them back to where they want to be and you know the clay thing they're just going to have to figure it out but i tend to think with clay chris like he's not really helping them right now. So if they lose him in the off season from the salary standpoint, that sucks. But I don't know if it's like some sort of big fallout detriment to their team. Big picture. No, it's, it's, it's just like more money. It could be more monumental in terms of an ending of a cycle for them or an error for them. in yeah. some degree than, than the awkward impact at this point, the Wiggins part, here's the Wiggins reporting quote sources told the ESPN that after missing two months last season after a still undisclosed personal matter he didn't take the time necessary during the summer to get back into shape ahead of the season his lack of physical conditioning annoyed some within the organization a team source said and you know what I would be pretty pissed off if I'm the organization in that sense if I'm being honest I would be pissed off if I'm the team leaders in that sense and for me Brendan I think you, you alluded to this a little bit Wiggins is a bigger concern to me than Thompson right now they need him to be what he was two seasons ago. They need him to be what he was two seasons ago if they have any hope of making any kind of playoff run. And aside from that Kings game, he just hasn't been that. And this team just feels light years away from where I think you would hope to be considering how good Curry has been at points and, and how electric he has been and how good he still clearly is. 
Yeah, I think the other part of this is the Chris Paul aspect and whether they would make a trade. Because Michael Scott over at Hoops Hype reported that they're interested in bringing Chris Paul back at the right price, is, is what he indicated. And to me, whether anybody would want Clay, I don't know if anyone really wants Chris Paul, but we know Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga, these guys are available. They have some amount of picks that they could potentially use. And that feels like the, where this has to be headed if they want to salvage the contract they just gave to Draymond, the extended prime that Curry's been able to develop. I think everybody knows at this point they've never really made those types of trades in season, but it feels like this year they have to because they're not a championship contender right now. Maybe they could be, and I think they owe it to themselves and especially to Curry to figure out if they can. I, they owe it to Curry. To me, the ultimate the ultimate thing here is that they owe it to Steph Curry to give him the best chance he can to win a championship and compete for a championship again, to be at the level he is still clearly at. And whatever that means, it could get uncomfortable. It could mark something stark and different and and risky. You know, I, I don't think this is going to be clean no matter how you spin it, but they owe it to Curry. He's that good still amid all of this. And to me, that's where it comes back to. It's like if you can find a way to figure this out and to maximize Curry and maybe it's flipping the Chris Paul in season thing feels much more easier than maybe doing a clay trade now but and I don't even know what these trades could look like it, it's not the easiest thing in the world there's not like obvious trades but they owe it to Curry I think ultimately like that's where you have to go if you're Mike Dunleavy you're that ownership group at the Lake Cubs I think you owe it to Curry to go for it but also what is Curry what what Curry We'll have to say about some of this to me would be really interesting. We may we're not going to get it publicly, but what he's looking for and what his kind of views on some of this are would be really fascinating. He has not been someone that I feel like has always flexed the muscle he could in the way, say, a LeBron has or a KD has when KD has moved teams or wanted out of somewhere. Curry's been a pretty loyal guy to the organization, but if there's ever been a point where I could just say, "F it, let's." Let's flex my muscles and give myself the, the get, advocate for myself to get one more championship run. Now would be a pretty good time. All right. After this, we're going to talk with Brad Rowland of Lockdown Hawks of Diamond Uprocks about the state of the East. want to tell you about our friends at Homage, though. They are the ultra comfortable specialty apparel company inspired and leading by vintage inspired designs. They have NBA and WNBA licenses. If you're looking for a great holiday gift, Go check out Homage and use the link below in our description, either on YouTube or where you're listening to this podcast. Buy some, buy yourself or someone you love something, and some of that money will come back to support the Just Basketball Show. All right, time for Brad Rowland chatting about the state of the Eastern Conference. Thrilled now to be joined by the one and only Brad Rowland, Locked on Hawks, Diamond Up Rocks, one of our favorite people. Our returning guest, Brad, thanks so much for coming back. How are you, my friend? I'm well, gentlemen. Thank you for thank you for having me once again here at uh, whatever whatever time this is, whatever day this is that we're supposed to be talking. Here we are. Thank you for having me. It's nebulous fake time. So, we today are going to go through the state of the Eastern Conference. Got a bunch of categories. That's going to be best team, our conference MVP, a team we're high on, a team we are most disappointed in, and a prediction dare I say, wild prediction based on what we have seen so far. 
Brad, I'm as the guest, I'm going to go to you first. Who is your best team in the Eastern Conference right now? Uh, I appreciate being deferred to on this show, but uh, I will say... I'll, I'll, I'm going to give the obvious answer, and that's and that's Boston. I think Boston is the consensus answer, and I think it's the right answer. They have the best record, the best net rating, and honestly, I've never been a huge Boston person. Like it, over multiple years, I'm always like they're they're good. Like we all acknowledge they're really good, and this is the first time. And it's actually a little bit scary to me. It's the first time that I think that they're they are like the best team right now in the Eastern Conference, and that is a little scary. But that's I think it's fairly obvious. But I could be uh, I, could, I could be wrong, I suppose. But that, that's who I have. I think that's the right answer. I, I, Brad, I think that's right. I, I think this has been the best team in the league so far. The title odds reflect that. The in-season tournament odds, you know, for whatever that's worth, reflect that as well. This team has just been really good from start to finish. They have the best point differential in the league. They have a top three defense. They're eighth in offense. The offense, to me, has signs of evolution that I think was really needed. The Porzingis thing has worked as well as I think they could have hoped to date. The Drew Holiday thing has worked amazingly for them. I think this team is just going to be rock solid. good. Certainly have to just prove it in the playoff for us to really fully get it. But to date, in the Eastern Conference, this has been the best team. And I don't, I don't, I think this was really the only answer. Yeah, I have Boston as well. I, I just find it hard. I mean, this is a team with a conference that has an overachiever in the 76ers who I think we're all still waiting to see how they bolster their roster, what developments happen, how good can Tyrese Maxey really be, and then the Bucks who have underachieved. So the only team I think in that top tier that just feels rock solid and consistent everything else is the Boston Celtics. Um, that said, do we think that... How much different are they than than they have been in the past? I think that's... That's probably the thing to talk about with Boston, right? Is they've been the answer most seasons for like half decade at this point. But are they different enough, better enough than they have been in those past seasons to finally get the job done? How do we feel right now a quarter of the way in, Chris? I mean, I, I think that's fair. And somehow Jason Tatum through all of that is still only 19 years old. You know, like the fact that he's <laughs> just from May 19 is really impressive for the longevity of the franchise. But in all seriousness... I feel a little bit better at it just because I do think, particularly the Jalen Brown Porzingis of the Brennan, you and I just recently talked about, I do think is something new for them. I think the pick and rolls and the connection between those two guys is giving them some added offensive utility that was not there. Now, do we need to still see it in the biggest moments? Yes. Like that is going to be the knock on this team and on Tatum, I think, as a lead guy until we see them overcome that in the biggest setting in the playoffs against a team like Philly or a team like Milwaukee or against like a Denver in the finals, right? Like that's going to be what we need to see to fully feel validated. But I, I would feel more optimistic now about that part of it. And also Joe Mazzula as a head coach than I, than I did a year ago. And if that's going to be, there's room for optimism, I think just based on those two things. And also just like Drew Holiday's better than Marcus Smart. I understand Marcus Smart is a Celtics legend, but you got a better, more versatile defensive player who I think is also a better offensive player in, in Drew Holiday. So like your roster is just, better even if it's maybe not quite as deep yeah i think that actually makes sense and honestly one thing that i'll throw in here before we move on i know we're going to probably going to do that um I, part of why boston is number one clearly for me is that i feel worse about the rest of the teams than i have in the past 
Mm. You know, I gave that caveat yeah. earlier about how I've never really been like all in on Boston. I'm not sure I am now still. It's just that I feel worse about the number two or three contenders that I have in previous years. So like, that's why I think the gap's a little bit bigger right now is like, you know, the obvious contenders like your Milwaukee's and Phillies on paper and in practice haven't been as, as good, I don't think. Um, so that's part of the reason. And, you know, I, I do like Drew and, and KP too, but you know, Boston's got some flaws too. Like they have, they have depth concerns. I don't, I don't trust Missoula yet just to be, on the record right now, yeah. maybe I'll be wrong about that, but uh, I'm a little weird, weird about that. So like, they're number one because they kind of have to be, but I think it has as much to do with everybody else as them. Did you guys just before we go on to the next topic? Did any? Did you guys when you made your list for this? Did any? Was there anyone else you for like half even half a second thought? I can make an argument for this team. I didn't have one. I really just went Boston and, and moved on to the other questions. I had a similar experience. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I went tried. Boston I without tried. without thinking too much about it. They are, for the record here as well, bottom 10 in terms of at-rim frequency allowed, or uh, sorry, not allowed, produced. They don't to the basket still, you know? And so, you know, there might be little gains to be made with the way Drew Holiday plays or the, the value that Chris Porzingis has provided or how Jalen and Jason have evolved little by little. But this team is very much still the same that it has always been. And they're just hoping that being the A++ version of that is enough to to kind of get them finally over the hump. And look, I mean, it might be enough. They were a win or two from the NBA Finals a couple years ago and, or from an NBA championship a couple years ago. And they have like five all-stars on this team. So, you know, that, that very well might be enough. But I do think sometimes we like to kind of pretend as if teams have done a lot of different stuff just because they're good. It's like, no, they've been good. It's just, you know, maybe a little bit of a better blueprint than it has been or a, a better version of that same blueprint. So, no, I, I did not think about anybody else. But uh, the, the intrigue, I think, begins with the next few questions. Let's go on to one of those next questions. Then. Conference most valuable player brendan who's your pick for conference mvp at this point of the season you're if if it's what you have in our document i cannot wait to hear you explain this because this is some wild shit from you wow i mean it it is what i put in the document because it would be weird to put something completely opposite of what i was going to say in our document it's chris middleton i look I'm going to start messing with you and put some random stuff in the document. We'll talk about uh, but this. just for the record, I can't see the document, so I was just in awe. I was waiting for the answer for this question just eagerly. Like, what, 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 what did Brennan write down? Brent, What's Brennan's, going like on? Haywood Hi- Brennan's like Haywood <laughs> Highsmith for conference MVP. You know, that's where he was going. He said Chris Jordan Middleton. Too. I heard him. Yeah, that's right. I did say Chris Middleton. And uh, part of it is I went player by player, team by team, and I sorted it by how much better or worse are their teams when they're on or off the court and guess who popped the highest version of that lo and behold it was chris middleton so like part of me was like could i make the case here could i really get away with this and ultimately i went ahead and, and put it but i think that it, it really isn't that far from the truth because the milwaukee bucks desperately need this guy and until he is able to play a real amount of minutes be a legitimate two-way player for this team creating offense spacing and making threes the way that he can and ideally defending at least like the second best perimeter player on the opposing team they're not going to be the best version of themselves and sometimes i think when we talk about milwaukee this year we can make fun 
of how big of a role Malik Beasley is playing, or we can, you know, goof on Adrian Griffin for various missteps that he's had along the way already, and Terry Stotts leaving, and all these sorts of things. But the bottom line is their third best player is still injured, and we don't know what's going on with him. And until that changes, a team that I picked to win the NBA Finals is not going to be its whole version, best version of itself. And so I know he's not been the MVP in terms of what he's produced, but he might be the biggest differentiator between his team's status right now and what they can ultimately be. So I went with him because a lot of the other guys we think about have not produced up to snuff. So it made it kind of easy. I, I thought the wild card actually made sense in this case. It made it kind of easy, by the way, to choose Chris Middleton. That, that's, that was a tremendous yeah. take. I, I really appreciate it. Just an it. easy answer. Had, had I known we were going well, Brad, off the board, come at I me. had more fun. No, I, I, maybe I could just say Jalen Johnson after the last two games as someone covering the Hawks. <laughs> I Hawks thought about it. He was Johnson. second on my list. Uh, he was next. No, I mean, I, I didn't know we were going off the board. I, I, I have very conventional answers, so... Uh, Chris, do you have an do you have an off the board answer before I give my I, before I, I give went to, my I, I went with Tyrese Halliburton just because I want any excuse I can to talk about Tyrese Halliburton. He is just having a monster year and is the the leader the the driver of the best offense in the league right now. He's fourth in expected plus minus right now in the season. The only players ranking out better than him in that catch all set are SGA, Joel Embiid, and Nikola Jokic. It's like him. He's like he's about even with Booker. Um, in those categories, Booker rates out better on defense. Yeah, real quick, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Mr. Booker, Chris. Um, Devin Booker is leading the best offense in the NBA right now. Uh, okay. Since he's been on the court, that has been the best offense in the NBA, okay. and uh, I will not take any slander to the contrary. But okay. yes, not, Tyrese is a, Tyrese is a good pick, but. <laughs> But doesn't that speak to what my Middleton pick also sort of spoke to, which is that Giannis and Tatum are not our picks here? I mean, that's that's kind of what I meant by the other guys have not stood out and they've had some odd seasons. So I, we you went off the beaten path with Tyrese Halburn. Tyrese Halburn's not winning MVP. We both know that. Okay, yeah. yeah I, I did. Also, uh, you, <laughs> I'll back Chris up. I, I made a list of four and I, I did okay. write, I did write, I, I have a three-person tier and a fourth person and Halbert was the fourth person. So That's he's, right. he, he was on my list. Um, I, this is not real. I, I mean, it is real on some level. I'm not saying it's not like he's playing great. He's not yeah. going to be this good, I don't think, through all season, and neither and neither are the Pacers. But um, I think it's. Uh, it, and get, by the way, he also has great on-off split. Like it's he's got a. He, if the if the season ended today, the famous the famous words of if the season ended today, he actually had, would have a decent case. Um, the, the only guy that you haven't said out loud, including what Brennan just said, is Embiid, the reigning MVP. Like he might be the yeah. right answer. Um, yeah, he, I think if I had to like give a serious ballot right now on Eastern Conference MVP, which is not a thing that exists in the real world, I would probably vote him beat if I had to pick one. But like, it's, I don't, I don't love that. I don't, I don't think he's been. I mean, he's been great as he always is, but he's not been like more special than usual. Does that make sense? I think it's been like the story of Philadelphia is what Maxi's done more than what Embiid's done exactly. to me. No, it, exactly. I mean, Maxi, if you're going to craft a narrative and craft a story about who has been the driver of what is going on in Philly this year, which is a, a team that is second in point differential right now and I think is generally pretty good and better than I at least thought, it's Maxi, who's who, by the way, I don't know, I saw this going around on, on NBA Reddit, is playing like, it was on pace to play like an absurd amount of minutes this year and then someone pointed out that five of the 11 most the guys that have five of the 11 guys that have played the most minutes per game are Nick nurse coach players. And I'm just oh, like, I mean, yeah. the, well, yeah. I mean, I, I used to rant, rant, rant about this last year in previous years. Cause there was a whole Siakam cycle about trade stuff, yeah. for the Hawks. And I was looking at a lot of Raptors data and like, 
the minute totals on some of those guys. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. Like those guys were playing thirty nine minutes a game, and it's like, yeah. what is what is happening right now? But anyway, that's yeah. it's a Nick Nurse thing. Yeah, I I think I think Embiid is would be like a very reasonable picker. I think he's been really good. I think that team again is really good. I I think, but I think Brendan, you are right that it is a little bit wide open right now. And I think I mean I think that's probably the case for MVP to some degree as well. Like if you're gonna put it is conferences. I mean, because, right, like, Embiid, interesting trend for him, by the way. The, the Sixers, for some statistical reason, are better with him off the court this year by a little bit. That makes which, no which sense. Never hap- which never happens ever there, for them, well, and, ever. And, no. And, and more broadly, with, like, not with every star player, but you're seeing that with some star guys, Drew, for whatever reason. Like, that was a thing with – there was a point in there, I think, Curry. Like, the Warriors are a mess right now. But, like, there's points where they were actually doing okay when Curry said, like, you're actually seeing – yeah some of these things where teams that historically have really struggled with stars off the floor are actually like doing okay with them off and that probably will reverse over time you would think but yeah it will but i mean look you look to like i even for the sake of this conference and i think this team will come up today the magic they're not going to have an mvp winner on their team but their bench has driven their success too so there's a lot of wonkiness early in the season with some of those numbers but i think mvp is going to be really fascinating because you're going to be really really hard pressed to get mb to win it twice in a row we just know how that's going to work i also think unless denver is killer all season long we're not going to see another Jokic mvp win if the team is like third in the conference like you only get so many of those in nba history for the same guy to do it twice in one kind of generation would be i think a little crazy too um so it's really going to be standings based i think more than maybe some recent years have been whether that's COVID or injuries or whatever else so i think that's part of why i'm kind of in wait and see mode too for some of these teams and players is like whoever finishes number one in the conference like let's just evaluate their best player and that guy might just win it because the league is so wide open and there has been so much difference between preseason expectations and and in season so far but i mean that makes for a better race i think can I give you MVP overall, overall MVP odds right now at the Arbet MGM? Nicole Jokic is... No, you can't give him. Okay. Yes, you can. Okay. Too, too late, <laughs> Brendan. Get, get effed. Um, Luka Doncic plus 550. Joel Embiid plus 750. Tatum plus 900. Giannis plus 1100. SGA plus 1200. Durant is plus 2000. Booker is plus 2200. And Curry is plus 2500. The only note I really have on that is... A, well, two. Jokic is like way ahead, which seems interesting and i think yeah. booker i would have booker ahead of durant the whole thing there not to do the whole odds conversation but Jokic. the thing about Jokic is that he's he's so incredibly durable and the numbers are being so good that he one thing i am confident in about above all on mvp is that he's going to be in the top three or four like he's going to be there and that's what that's one of the reasons why his odds are so high is that he's going to be there unless something crazy happens because he, he never gets hurt and the numbers will be what they are and the splits will be what they are and like but you're right. I mean, it's, it is hard functionally. Again, I, I, I hate like projecting what the voting body is going to do because it just should be like who's who deserves it and who doesn't. But the voting it's great body content matters. to, to well, play psychologists for exactly. a bunch I mean, of middle aged reporters. Yeah. And it's so funny because last year, I think if if you just removed all previous data, Jokic would have won. It's just people didn't want to give him a third one in a row, and this year will be maybe the same thing. Embiid's not going to win two year, two in a row. He's going Embiid's going to have to be the best guy by twenty percent to win, and he won't be. He won't be that good compared to everybody else. So like, you know, who? I mean, maybe they'll, maybe it'll be a year where it's a first timer, and they just decide they have to give it to somebody else for new blood, whether it's Luca or Booker or whoever it's going to be. Or maybe Giannis has a great year. I don't know. It's I would not bet yeah. on anyone. 
at this moment for MVP. Yeah, I would stay away. Moral yeah. of the story. Yeah. Bet on nobody to win the MVP. They just That's give the, they just put the trophy in the Hall of Fame and hey, it's for Chris, it's for the fans. Chris, what what are Chris Middleton's odds for MVP? Is he on the list? You know, I you know I don't see he's him minus three hundred actually. Chris <laughs> just left him off because he was such a favorite. Understood. Yeah, you know, I just wanted to gaslight Brendan and tell him that his pick was really good. I'm trying to actually see if he's listed at. at there's no way he's. There's no way he's. There's no way he has odds. No Chris, way. he's not on the list. I will save you your time. Stop scrolling. <laughs> you, he's not on the you, list. You, you can, you, Russell Westbrook is on the list at plus fifty thousand for. Oh my God! Please Great. bet 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 two dollars on Russell so Westbrook. Kate, so is Kate Cunningham, which is like lighting money on fire. Um, That's we'll get better to the than Russ. Later, we'll, um, we'll get to the pistons later in the year. All right, let's go to team we're high on. MVP is going to be yeah. fun. Brendan's a wild one. I'm going to go first. This is a team that we have talked about a lot here on the Just Basketball Show. It's a team we wave the flag about. Orlando Magic. Oh, no. I I love the Orlando Magic. Top 10 point differential. The defense is suffocating. The talent I really like. I think this is the start of something. We are in on the ground floor here, and I think this team is just a pain in the ass to play. I think that I really like Franz. I really like Paolo. Uh, they need to figure out their guard situation in a real way, I think, kind of long-term to kind of evolve this. And I'm going to say this until he does it. Jalen Sugg, shave your head. You're bald, my friend. Just shave it. Embrace the lifestyle. <laughs> this team, though, is legit. The defense is legit. I just really like the Orlando Magic and where they're at. So I'm just going to say I'm high on the Orlando Magic. Tough scene. I have one team listed, and it's the Orlando, it's the Orlando Magic. So that's unfortunate. My guy, Brad Roland! Well, look, look, I gave all kinds of caveats because uh, – the real answer is that this is weird to go through this exercise preparing for this. I don't think that I'm high on anybody in the East. Like, in comparison to, like, where teams are, it's like, Orlando's my answer because I love defense. Like, I'm a defense nerd, yeah. and, like, I actually believe in their defense. Like, I, they're going to be a top-five defense this year unless something, unless something changes, yeah. like, within... Like, it's it's legit. You're gonna, like, there's no luck. Maybe a little bit, but not... Like, all the stuff that you're looking for... And a team that's like being fluky defensively, none of that's there. Like their their baseline is really really high. They're um they're giving Mo Wagner and Goga Batate center minutes, and it's well, like not affecting things. Um, Mo Wagner <laughs> Mo Wagner is a saint, so yeah. I don't know what you're talking about on this podcast. Yeah, but the, the scowl um, on your face was in, was incredible. I was confused by the direction. I mean, it's not affecting things because those players are good. I mean, that's the thing. Like this team's but just it, their players have gotten so yeah. much better, and that's why it's pretty legit. Because it's not like wow, so and so has like five blocks a game. It's like no, they're just they're really steady. No. They actually allow a lot at the rim. That's like the one hole you could poke, but they don't let anybody finish at the basket. Like they're just they're very sound. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a buyer. Like their guard defense is great, and offensively, like I I don't believe in their offense. But if they can just be 18th, like that's good enough for what they're doing on off, on defense right now. So um, that's my answer. I mean, I I, I might have honestly come on here and maybe pulled my homer card instead of the Hawks until two days ago. I, I, I uh, thought about the Hawks. Before right? before really Jalen Johnson went down, I would have been like, uh, the Hawks are sneakily better than people think they are because the record wasn't great. But now without Jalen Johnson for four to six weeks, they don't have a way to replace him. And I, I will avoid that rabbit hole on this podcast because it's not a Hawks show. But that would be the only team that I would have thought I might say out loud. But I don't love anybody, honestly. Brad, I got to ask you because I haven't just saw Atlanta in person. What does Sadiq Bay do? Ooh, that's a that's a. Uh, I'll give you the, the short answer is that he he's he's a pretty good shooter. Uh, everything else is not my favorite thing. Yeah, uh, he's 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 not a good defensive basketball player at this point. But uh, I will avoid Sadiq Bay talk. Brendan, you have to answer the question now because I'm, I'm moving it along. Allow me to make the case for the Brooklyn Nets. 
The Orlando Magic are number one over the past two weeks in net rating by a mile, and they are 7-0, and and they are making everybody talk about a team in like Central Florida for the first time in a very long time. But the Brooklyn Nets are quietly 15th in that rating three and three nothing super uh crazy but that's a little better than they've been on the season and it is driven by their offense which i think is the part that fascinates me and part of why i'm optimistic because the other thing that's happened in the past two weeks for this team is nick claxton came back and he is probably the single most valuable player on their team because they only really have one center but yet the defense has not actually boosted up the way you expect when you get your you know all defense, you know, fringe all defense caliber, switchable, versatile, turnover creating center back in the lineup. And so I expect the defense to jump gradually over time as as the numbers even out with him on the court. And I watched their game against Toronto from the other night, well, maybe Tuesday night. And what jumped out to me, that's kind of a funny thing to say about these guys is they actually have pretty solid chemistry like they've played together for a while now even though we sort of still think about them as this cobbled together team that was created because Kyrie and KD asked out but like you know Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson have played together for a while they're on the court a lot together they have a lot of just interchangeable pieces whether that's Royce O'Neal who's just kind of the most unselfish just run and gun type of guy you you could find and Spencer Dinwiddie can mesh into any sort of group and they move the ball well they get up a bunch of threes and like they just have a, a style now that the Ben Simmons experiment is not weighing them down and you know they'll just play Dayron Sharp at backup center and live with that and everybody can shoot everybody can handle it a little bit they're unselfish like I just like teams with identities if I'm kind of banking on who's going to exceed expectations and maybe get better over the course of the season i think they might have a trade or two to make in either direction selling or buying i don't really know but i just think that they play as a team and have a lot of room to keep getting better and the fact that their offense has already been top 10 for a quarter of the season basically like great sign me up and maybe they even take a step forward if they're able to add more talent what do you guys think of the nets i find them interesting um, for all the reasons you just laid out, like, I, but coming, coming into the year, I would have probably argued that they had maybe the least identity of any team in the league. They just had no identity yeah. at all. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that was mm-hmm. a team that was like a bunch of guys who are decent role players, like a lot of solid guys I like. You know, your Dorian Finney-Smith types, you know, that kind of guy, Royce O'Neal, whatever, and Mikhail Bridges. And then you watch them now, I'm like, yeah, I, I think they're this is not this is not meant to be negative. I think they're still they're kind of average, I think, which is yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. more than more than I thought of them though a few weeks ago. Like I I kind of buy them as a team that might win 43 games now, whereas like I had them in the mid 30s probably coming into the season. So like that's a notable jump and like I find them not like super fun in a traditional sense to watch, but like I just think they're interesting. Like there's a lot going on with them. Like they don't have a number one guy. I mean, Bridges is good, but he's not a number one. I think we could probably agree on that on a good team. Um like Dinwiddie's a fascinating, weird player. He always has been. He's a terrible lob thrower. He does weird things, and he's good though. Um, he's tried to start Georgia. doing underhand lobs. He tried to throw one to Claxton in the game that I watched. Instead of like the kind of shot type of pass, he can't do that he, one. He can't do it. He went granny style on it, and it just it was even worse. So I'm it's, sure, I'm it's sure that's he's just heard a, the jokes. a nice factor. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're they're we. I mean, and you. I've actually said the thing at the end about them making a trade because. I, 
Toronto's like this too, other than everyone's screaming that Toronto has to sell, except for Masai just won't sell. Brooklyn, it's like you could legitimately go either way. I, I don't know what they're going to do, but like it will surprise me if they get to March with the same team. Like they either need to like go one direction or the other. Like either sell some guys off, like Finney Smith and the guys who are like on shorter contracts, or maybe buy a little bit. But like it doesn't make sense for them to just kind of like coast into the offseason with this team. It doesn't. So that's it, that's interesting too because I'll be uh, they'll be in every rumor basically between now and February. I would guess. The one name I would shout out on Brooklyn that really has popped is Lonnie Walker, who's just having a very fun season, putting up the best number of his career off the bench for them. I mean, just a guy that is, for whatever reason, it's clicking for him right now. Um, he's shooting nearly 50% from the field, 46.2% from three. You remember when he won a playoff game by himself last year? That happened. I do. That, that, that happened. I, I still, I'll never forget that for whatever reason. That was a, just a fascinating event. But uh, I agree. Taking nearly six. well, and the other guy to mention, I think, has to be Cam Thomas. Yep. Yeah, taking six threes. I mean, Lonnie Walker's been awesome, but we have to mention Cam Thomas. And I don't think. Go ahead. Give me your doubt. I just he. Brad, Brad, what's your doubt? I don't really have doubt. I think oh, he's, just, uh, he's he. I, I mean, he's not I, shooting well from three anymore. He's no, just, I I have no doubt about Cam Thomas. He's exactly the player he's been since he was in high school. He's exactly the same guy. Um, if, yeah. it, if he makes shots, it looks awesome and it's fun. And he literally, I mean, I'm not joking. He does nothing else, like nothing. He can't pass. He can't defend. And look, there's a, there's a, there's a space for that. So I'm not, I, that might sound negative, and I'm not trying to make it that. He is the most sixth man gunner guard there has ever been. Ever. Like, he is exactly the traditional um, sixth man of the year candidate that's the, the yay points guy. That is Cam Thomas. And that's fine. Teams can use that. And he, yeah. he's been very useful to Brooklyn, especially early in the year. When he, I mean, he's not going to go as crazy. Man, there was a week there when he was averaging like 40 a game, and that was like a wild ride. But he is actually useful. He's not. He's like my least favorite archetype. I hate that archetype of a player, which I, I'm sure people that know me will laugh at this if they ever hear it. But it's like he does have value. He's just a he's a he's one of a kind, man. He's a he's a unicorn. I just brought him up because one, I mean, he's the other kind of standout breakout guy. He's hurt right now, but it made me wonder what how good would the Nets have been if they made the Lillard trade? If they had actually pulled the trigger on what was rumored. What do you guys think? Because the fact that their offense is pretty steady and they don't really have a, a real point guard. They don't really get any rim pressure and yet they just kind of have cobbled their way with jump shots and, and passing and transition offense and, and whatever else into a decent unit on that end and I'm like well if you had rim pressure and a little more you know consistent free throw shooting and more structure could they have been a top five offense and then you know what are they as a team then if, if they were really operating in win now mode do they go get a real backup center and some interior defense like it I don't know. I, I know we're early on. I'm not trying to overreact to maybe they'll end up 15th in offense and 20th in defense. My my wheels were turning a little bit on, well, what if they were the team? Like, how how much worse would they have been than what Milwaukee's been earlier this year? I don't know. Like, I, I it was just, it's a fascinating thought experiment. I, I That trade just feels like it was forcing something that wasn't fully there. Like, I don't, like, Dame is great. And he's would have been the best player on that team and given them something that they don't have. But I do think there's a world where that's still putting themselves a little bit further ahead than they need to be. That that's where my thought goes. 
just it's like fair. what 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 is what is what is the rush for them when you have this Ben Simmons thing, you have like his contract, you just are in a space where you're still navigating what you are. You have all these picks you gave up. Well, the rush is they're not a young team. I mean, they're not yeah, like, they're not a bunch of 22-year-olds. They're a bunch of 28-year-olds. So the idea of like sure, be patient, but, it's like what until Mikhail's value contract runs out? Be patient until then? Like, you know, I think there is a little yeah, bit of but, an urgency here. But but is it urgency? But is it urgency to just like be as competitive as you can or is it to further trade stuff and make your life harder on the back end? Like that's where my concern would be because I mean, they made this K- they made the KD Kyrie stuff, and it's in the Hardens and like the Hardens, and it's just like they are they've given up so much and didn't really get anything back on that. I can understand maybe not wanting to jump right back into that deep end of name player that you gave up stuff for when you owe all these picks to Houston and whatnot. All right, we'll revisit this. We'll we'll keep an eye on Brooklyn. So I'll next we're gonna go to most disappointing team, and I have I'll go first because I have a comp for mine because they are a disaster. They have, they are, there's just a lot going wrong for a team that I, I thought could show some signs of life. Our guests when we did the season preview talked me into them a little bit. And that's the Detroit Pistons. Number one, Monty Williams is giving some Frank, like Frank Reich for the Carolina Panthers energy. Just like maybe not going to be there for super long, even though he's getting paid lots of money. And like, he's a veteran coach with a track record, but this just isn't working. Um, they rank out again worse than Wizards and expected wins and net rating. Every quote I see from Kate Cunningham and all of, and everyone else is just like red flag after red flag after red flag. I, I love the Thompson twin that they have. I, I still like Jalen Duran. I still believe in Cade, but something is just absolutely broken with this team. And I don't think there's like a clear fixer. This and yes, they have injuries and all this stuff, but this is a weirdly assembled roster. Everything is just bad here, and I could I didn't think it'd be I thought I didn't think they'd be good, but this is much worse than I thought. They were on my list, I have to say. Um, I'm glad you said that though, because you know you don't always, you don't always think about teams that are supposed to be bad that end up being bad, as disappointing. But like, they're they're clearly not tanking on purpose. Like they're yeah. trying to win. Like. For my example of this the last couple of years has been like Houston the last few years before this year was like pretty obviously not trying to win. You know what I mean? Like they had a bunch of they had they were really bad for three straight years. If they had been that bad this year, that would have been a disaster. And obviously they're not that bad. They're pretty good this year. Detroit didn't do all the all the stuff that Houston did, but Detroit has veterans. Like they're they they were trying to win. Yeah, they have they have a few injuries, Bogdanovich, Monty Morris, etc. But, like, they did not think internally that they were going to be this bad. And, I mean, I, I could do 30 minutes on Troy Weaver and the Troy Weaver era. It's not going well. That's, that's my assessment on the Troy Weaver era in Detroit. <laughs> Loves uh, lots of centers to do, like, very similar things, but actually none of the centers are good except for... Hates, yeah, hate, hates spacing, loves second draft candidates, guys who went early and uh, flame out somewhere else. Anyway, um, that's a good answer. Uh, mine's kind of weird, too. To answer the question, it's not as it's not a bad team. Am I allowed to say Milwaukee, despite Milwaukee being thirteen and five? <laughs> Am no, I allowed I to love do that? This. Because they were, they were on my list. I, I don't. My list. I, I don't think Milwaukee a is playing like a thirteen and five team. I think their underlying data will tell you they should probably be like ten and seven or something like you know ten and eight right now, um, which isn't bad. But if you watch Milwaukee, even there, you know people that cover the, the, the cover the Bucks, root for the Bucks, no one's having a good time. 
right now. Like, they're not bad, obviously, but they basically had a mutiny about their defense, like a well-chronicled, like their guys went to Andrew Griffin and were like, we're not doing this anymore after like 10 games. That's not a good sign. Like, uh, I mean, it, it worked. They've been better since then, but like you shouldn't have to do that to your brand new head coach that you kind of helped to handpick, if you're honest, for instance. And like, I don't know. I still think they're going to be good. And I still believe in like what they could be on offense, but defensively they don't have the same upside their depth is really, really rough. Like, they don't have a lot of... The guys who they need to be good on the perimeter, like, defensively, other than Brennan's guy, Chris Middleton, of course, are, like, Andre Jackson and Marjan Bochamp, who can't... I mean, Bochamp can kind of shoot a little bit, but Jackson can't shoot at all. And, like, they're just... They have a lot of one-way players, not a lot of good... Not a lot of defense on the perimeter. Dame still can't guard anybody. It's been very much out there for a long time. Like, I love his offense, but he can't guard anybody. And... Um, I don't know. I I've always liked the Bucks, and maybe that's because I, I I was skeptical of what would happen when they went from Budenholzer to Adrian Griffin in the in, in the regular season, especially. But like that has not gone that super well right now. And uh, yeah, I'm going with the Bucks, despite the fact that they are as we record this 13 and five. Disappointing. I knew that was headed toward Bud propaganda. I knew I mean, that's where I knew that's where we were going. And oh, look, let me say this right now. I understood why they fired Bud. As much as Bud is ve- Bud is very very good at what Bud does, I probably wouldn't have fired Bud. But I always understood it. I didn't like go crazy when they did that. But you got to know what you're risking when you fire Budenholzer. You knew you could roll you could roll out of bed with Budenholzer and win 55 games. It was going to happen. You were always going to be awesome, and that level of certainty should not be overlooked in my opinion. So, well, and and even be I would the other thing I would add to that is they had this whole Terry Stotts Adrian Griffin fallout. Very weird. Yes. That that was weird and Adrian Griffin, let's just say is not I think been a particularly convincing head coach early on in his tenure and someone like Terry Stotts even if he maybe isn't at the apex of what he was a coaching more like that's someone who knows Dame and knows how to build NBA offenses and knows how to be a head coach so like the fact that that didn't work and tension and that stuff is normal i'm not saying like you can't have tension but that's just like that's there's some weird stuff going on there man like i i there's the, the vibe there has just been off kind of from the beginning yeah for a team as big as they are just losing on the glass so often just some of the basic things that they do that bud would never have allowed them to be bad at i think are are just kind of frustrating to watch it feels like bobby portis just does not make an impact on games as often as he used to like there's just entire aspects of what i thought were core to their identity that have just slipped away and and i know that that's part of just evolving as a team but like pat Connaughton is like near the bottom of everything in terms of defensive impact and like i think he's a pretty good player and feels like he's not getting put into position to succeed there even the games they win it's like they have weird matchups that they're choosing they're kind of accepting to just play these 130 to 132 type games all the time and uh it does it does not leave any room for optimism my uh, disappointing team is the charlotte hornets and maybe i uh, just shouldn't shouldn't be so surprised but if you would have told me that gordon hayward would be pretty healthy mark williams would continue to look somewhat promising and actually you know play a bigger role and Lamelo ball would produce i would have just thought that that team would have been more competent 
and and Brandon Miller being a, a pretty solid player. I mean, he's not making shots, but he's also not making like super detrimental mistakes. They just cannot play defense. Lamelo, in terms of possession by possession efficiency, as a as a person who puts the ball in the basket and creates efficient plays for teammates is just not where he needs to be this far into his career and he's injured again and it's like hurrah that he didn't break his ankle is like the the tenor about that injury which makes me think it's going to be a long time all the behind the scenes stuff is broken it seems like steve clifford and the gm mitch kupchak are not going to work there in a year and it's just ugly with no real answer and no and no real hope right now like i think low key as as this lamello injury sinks in and they start losing even more charlotte's going to start getting talked about the way that we're talking about washington and detroit and and chicago to start the season like yep. we're just not there yet should be i mean yeah there's a whole there's a whole thing I mean, you, you did part of it there but there's a whole like even locally, you know that's not my local market, but it's the closest one to me, other than the one I live in. And uh, I know a lot of a lot of Hornets people. Um, the city doesn't care about the Hornets very much right now. Like they're kind of like apathy has set in in Charlotte, which is really not where you want to be, man. Like especially where you're already in a pretty small um, market, relatively for the NBA, and you're one you're one star in Lamelo, who like is polarizing, but is you know obviously a good player, is not going to be out for a while. And yeah, they have Brandon Miller, who I think looks fine, but like. Mark Williams is good. I like Mark Williams, but they—they're just not—they're not very good with Lamelo. You take him off the floor, they have nobody else. Like, there's nobody that can even approximate what he does on that on that team. Like, it's not even—not even—not even just just positionally, but I'm talking about like role. There's no one to carry the usage when he is not there. They already had a guard—they had a guard depth problem before Lamelo went out. Like, they were already like, hey, they don't have—they have nobody behind him now. They so yeah, they're going to be. Bad. I mean, Clifford. You could say a lot of things about Clifford. Like, you know, the Clifford era. He's he's at least good, at, like coaxing defense. So maybe they'll be more respectable on some nights than some of the like worst, worst, worst teams. Like Washington's probably still worse than them, just because like they almost want to be. Like they're engineered to be bad this year in a lot of ways. But man, it's it's bleak in Charlotte. I, I think that Charlotte should probably be happy. To your point, that like teams like Chicago have like legendarily bad vibes right now. For instance, like the, the Bulls vibes are just abhorrent at this moment in time and uh charlotte doesn't get talked about and i guess when you're bad it's nice to not be talked about you know what i mean like when you're good every fan's like yelling about how ESPN doesn't cover your team i hear it all the time in atlanta for instance but when you're bad you don't want to be made fun of like the bulls are gonna make fun of every day right now by everyone like because that's a big market i guess that's, that's the one positive for charlotte you could just kind of like languish in silence in a lot of ways but again apathy is not where you want to be either so plus the minuses can i I have one team I want to ask you guys about. Um, it's the team in my backyard, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Should they be an should they be an answer? Should were they on your lists? They they were on my long list, um, but I think it's just like so early, and when their guys have been there, they've been, they've looked okay. Like it's more like I think they at least have some reasons. Um, you'll obviously speak this better than I would because you cover the team every day, but they still look like the Cavs to me. Like, and I, and honestly, I, n- I never bought like there were people that were thinking that they could be like a, like a 55 win team. I, I, I just don't see that with them. So maybe that's, maybe that's why I'm not disappointed. I didn't have them like doing that. So maybe if you did, then you would, you would just disappoint it, but I, they're fine. Like they're, they're pretty good. Yeah. I feel the same way about the Cavs actually, as I do about the Pistons. I, I don't, the Pistons, wow, it's, shot, it's ugly. Fired. <laughs> No, they're not the same. 
<laughs> I kid, Brendan. I kid. But I just think so much of it has been dictated by injuries. Just don't think it's as bad as their record or their losing streak would would indicate. I think that the Pistons just haven't had any of their vets healthy and any of their their kind of stronghold players that they brought in in order to insulate the young guys. It's just been a lot of Marvin Bagley and everything else and hasn't been quite as extreme in, in Cleveland, but I just think a healthy version of the Cavs is still a good team, not a great team, and I, I haven't seen anything to make me feel better or worse about, about Cleveland, to be honest with you. I think the Strews signing has been good. You know, you want to see development for Mobley and Garland. Like, I kind of feel like all those things are still the case even a quarter of the way in. Yeah, I think t- I would say two things. Number one, I do think just the Mitchell future part of it is just one of the, it just hangs over it to some degree. So there maybe feels like there's more pressure there. Um, and I do think they've showed some resiliency of late in wins over Toronto where they were down and then Atlanta where they were down that I think bodes well for their where they're at. At the Evan Mobley, we're going to have an ep- 2021 draft episode in the coming weeks at some point. I do think that where Mobley is at offensively is one of the one of the things I think holding the back a little bit because he's just not decisive enough in the short roll to where you feel really good about it. Like he, had, he has moments every every game where he gets a pass off or he hit a nice turn on jumper against Atlanta from the elbow, but he hit a three in that game as well, but it's not quite enough to really alleviate some of the concerns. Like And, it, and to me, for me personally, it has changed what I think his ceiling can be a little bit based on what we've seen so far. And if that, I think, has to lower the ceiling for Cleveland, but they also just don't take enough threes. Despite adding George yeah. Nang and Max Drews, they just don't take enough threes. And that, like, I was looking at George, like, George Nang, that guy has one utility is to shoot threes. He's been, like, 16, like 68 to, like, 75% uh, percentage of his shots from three the last couple of years. He's at, like, 58%. And I'm just, that makes me just, like, look at J.B. Bickerstaff and be like, okay, what is the what is the issue where your team's just, are you that concerned about it? Are you guys instructing your guys not to just let them fly when they really need to? I saw a thread about that. I can't remember who it was. I that game they played against the Lakers. Go ahead, Brandon. No, go ahead, Brad. No, I was going to say, I saw a thread about that exact thing. The I can't remember game... Who, who did <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, it doesn't matter. I give up. The game where they played the Lakers and both teams shot fewer than 33s. Yeah. I think... I was there. Took the NBA back in time by about a decade. Yeah, I know you were there. And it was a pretty good game, but it was... I looked at the box score afterward, and I was like, five, eight of 30 or whatever. I was just like, what even just happened in Cleveland? Yeah, I think somewhere... Nate McMillan probably loved that game, uh, former Hawks head coach. Um, no, I, I think that... I, I just don't really... I don't. Even, I don't know how to this. I, I. I don't really know what. I know what the plan is on offense for Cleveland, but I don't believe in it. Does that make yeah. sense? Like with, yeah. with their current construction, uh, there is. A, I think there's a pretty hard ceiling on how good they can be offensively, without a change like you just mentioned. Like yeah, if, if JB woke up one day and was like, hey, we're gonna, we're going to shoot threes now, that might change my opinion. But you know, that's that's only one. Th- I don't want to make it seem like it's all that. But when you when you play two bigs. And I agree with you on Mobley. I've always liked him a lot, but he, he's not a great offensive player at this moment in time. He's just not. He's he's good, but he's not great. And you play two bigs and you don't shoot threes, like you're running into some just fundamental limiting issues on offense that I just, um, yeah, that's why I don't have them in that like top, top, top conversation. And maybe that's why, again, I'm, I'm not like disappointed. It's just that, that not, I think they're better than this. 
I will be I'll be candid about it. they're better than this, but like I'm not expecting them to like run up with Boston if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's more that's where I'm at here. All right, let's finish up last one. Wild prediction based on what we've seen so far. Brendan, I like yours a lot. Uh oh. I actually, I, I'm not even being okay. to be a dick about this. I generally, I generally think this is a really good one. <laughs> no, I, sure I believe you this time. Okay. Well, now it's a I'm point that I think thing. you I'm, made I'm, in our last episode, but I just believe it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I it's the Indiana Pacers about. are going to win the NBA Cup. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's the that's the this. take. The 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 Pacers are going to win the NBA Cup because. One, I, I think more than we realize this tournament is going to come down to who wants to win it. Like, who's going to play their best player 40 minutes, 45 minutes? Who is going to change their entire game plan to take something away from the opponent and treat it like a you know NBA Finals game one, I mean, even, but let alone a game seven, right? Like, And I don't know if Rick Carlisle cares, but I think the players do, and... I think Boston is not necessarily the team that I expect to like suffocate the, the the Pacers defense or offense with their defense. I guess the Knicks could maybe make a really weird clash of styles in the East. Um, I we seen the Pacers play the Bucks, and that game could have gone either way. A high scoring affair. And then, you know, we'll see what happens in the West. But, you know, if you were to win, the Pacers win more. I just think in a single elimination environment when you can score 150 and you want it and you're young and, and you care and you might be coaching and adjusting yourself for treating it like a big moment for your for your team, those all point in the direction that I like. So there's my Eastern Conference prediction. I like that a lot. I, I think that they're very capable. I did in our TikTok pick against them. Um, so I, I picked Boston. Yeah, you picked, picked my team, so I'm all for that, too. I, I, I mean, I beef, beef okay, not, I'm, I'm going to be the uh, gonna be the other side real quickly, not on purpose. Yeah. yeah. Indiana's going to be an underdog in the quarterfinal. So if you, yeah. if you, if you, if you just do the math on that, it's not going to be the greatest, uh, the greatest uh, road. They, they can win it. I'm not saying otherwise, because if they just shoot well three times... To your point, they, they they can win it, but it's not like I. Um, the other side's true. We're like, if Indiana looks bad for a half, they're down by thirty. Like with that, with the pace they play, and their defense, if they don't make shots, they get massacred. So as we saw against Portland this week, they made Jeremy Grant, yeah. and Malcolm Brogdon look like you know magic and worthy or something. Well, I watched a game against Orlando. I think it was right, right, right recently before that. Um, of course, they came to Atlanta. I was in the building, and they scored 100 and 190, whatever it was. That was the craziest game I've ever seen. But um, before that or after that, I can't remember which one, they were down like 40 to Orlando, like 40 by like almost halftime. It was horrible. Yeah. So like if you want to, if you, if you want a high variance, certainly Indiana is on the list, maybe number one on the list, given how much they, they take threes, they play fast, they have terrible defense. So uh I think you might be right in the end, but they also might lose to Boston by 25. That would not surprise me at all. What's your bold prediction? Uh, I, I also want to say it now because it's literally the exact opposite of what you just said. Um, my wild, my wild prediction okay. is uh, is the Pacers miss the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Whoa! I like this. I like the uh, spice, Brad. Part part of part again. This is it's intentionally a wild prediction. So I'm not saying this is like a 50 percent outcome, but here we are. 
they have been the early season darling, which I get. Like I, they're a lot of fun. Halliburton is out of his mind in a good way. They can score with anybody. That right now, number one in the history of basketball and NBA on offense. But if you look at like some of the luck adjusted metrics, like some of the EPM, Ducks and Three stuff, synergy, they're like below the middle of the pack in adjusted net rating and stuff like that. Like they, their underlying metrics do not support what they are currently doing. And they also, in addition to that, have had almost perfect health. How they miss one game, and the rest of their top seven guys have played every single game this season. So the combination of they're really, really, really healthy, they're making all their threes, and their defense is actually actually this bad. I actually believe their defense is this bad, and their offense is really good, Horrible. but not this good. You know what I mean? Like, Indiana might be number one in net rating, but they're not going to score 1.22 point per possession for the whole season. That's not going to happen. So... I'm going to say that they're more like a 38-win team than what you would need to get in the playoffs. Uh, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's wild enough. I guess it was by your reaction, but uh, and again, it's it's really fun. By the way, the, the league should have a team or two like Indiana every year. Yeah, it should be it should be mandated by law that the, that the NBA has to have at least one team that's like this because they go to, they go to your city and that Hawks Pacers game was like every drug you might imagine taking. I was in that. It was a, it was a, on a blue court. It was like playing basketball on the moon, and people around the fans around me were going crazy. And look, it's a Hawks Pacers game on like a Tuesday. No one cares about that game, and it was a wild scene because the whole league starts watching because it's like eighty to eighty in the middle of the second quarter, and that's fun. Like it should there should be a team like that. And Halliburton's awesome. Always loved Halley. So yeah, this is not a, it's not meant as a slight to Indiana. I just don't think team quality and results wise over eighty two that I believe it. Just yet, I right? Just, it's okay. We understand. You hate the Midwest. It's okay. I get it. I don't hate the Midwest. That's that's untrue. I actually, I'm wearing a Michigan shirt as right he's now. wearing a Michigan shirt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I have an appreciation. Uh, look, I, I have family that are Pistons fans, and they are going through it right now. So I, I have sympathy Ooh. for all all folks in that region of the country. Okay. And so, again, pro Indiana uh, in a lot of ways. I just think they're maybe you know, a year away, or maybe they're a trade away. You know, look, they might, if they make a trade. And get better, which they might do. They might. Indiana has actually a, a record of buying because they don't like to rebuild. Like that's no. infamously, they don't like to rebuild. So like they actually, they're more likely to buy than sell. So if they start buying and they find someone like a place in a little bit of defense somewhere, that would be. Uh, I would have. To, I might. I might change my answer. But if they don't do anything, that's that's right. I will. The last thing yeah, they, I, we will say about the, good. Just go, Brendan. They can't survive playing healed, Matherin, Toppin. No. Jalen Smith, like those are it's, all you, like you just, healed is one of the worst defenders in the NBA, and there's just no way around that. And and Matherin is a young dude who who isn't much better. Like, well, they got to make some choices Hal- here about what they want to be. Hal- Halliburton's bad defensively. He, he's got mm-hmm. he's got great instincts, but he was billed as this. You know, I, I'm a draft guy. He was billed as uh, much yeah. more of a supporting offensive player with some defense and he's actually gone the other way where he's an on-ball dominant player on offense and he's he's really not good defensively like really not good um and again he's like like you just laid out he's not alone like they don't they don't have anybody they, i mean other than miles turner you don't there's not a guy in that team that i would describe as being a good defender and that's that's a tough scene i, I cover a team that's kind of like that in atlanta except not quite as much as indiana and it's already bad enough for me it, it hurts my soul to watch the hawks defend on a lot of nights and indiana is w- notably worse so it's it's a lot the, the, other, the only thing I will add is, there, is if they do what Brendan has suggested and win the in-season tournament, does that mean, like, their jerseys are now just, like, they're awful, 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 
jerseys that they've been wearing for that tournament become like part of franchise lore and then like every five years they just like pop up like the boogeyman they're, they're gonna hang them actually in t-mobile arena in vegas i'm gonna be there for the for the semis and the finals um, they're actually gonna do a ceremony where they they lift the that jersey in particular to the rafters and just leave it there for all time in vegas we also right Brad, I'm about to say it's gonna come across as me poking you, but I generally, I mean this genuinely, and now I'm feeling paranoid about that. That what I'm saying is, is like, I love you're here already. Just like, yeah, you're going to Las Vegas, and I know you love you love Vegas more than I do. Like, like Vegas, and, uh, and I'm actually going. Basketball. I will be. I will also be there with both both friends of yours. Uh-oh. Martin Martin Rickman will be there with me. So oh, me and Martin are are doing the in season tournament together, covering it for. Yield dime on up rocks That's and right. that'll be fun i like basketball it's the first time ever like i'm not gonna go every year but it's the first one ever why not let's have fun if if, if cleveland would have made it i had like some money set aside to to go find a way to do it but yeah i mean i was talking to folks on our on our, on our other podcast about this like you know would you want to go and it's like well you kind of you kind of have to plan on going. Like nobody nobody at our yeah. level, no one's sending us to go. No one's paying for us to go at the last minute. It's worse it's worse to wait till the end. Like if you're gonna go, you gotta go. And that's why I, I decided to go like two months ago. I was like, I got, I'm just gonna go. I'm not. If the Hawks make it, that'd be even better. And if they don't, like they didn't, I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go cover basketball. It's gonna be fun. All right, my last my one. I did not make an Indiana Pacers prediction. I made a Milwaukee Bucks prediction, and that's that. I don't think they're gonna make the Eastern Conference Finals. I I don't this team has just not been as good as they should be. It's been a frustrating start for them. I don't think the coaching's been very good. I just think the way Philly has played, the Bucks weakness, maybe just one other team asserts themselves in some way and, and makes a little bit of a run and gets the right matchups and things break right for them and they get there and it's Boston versus someone we're not expecting. I just I, I thought coming into the year guys and I thought it was. I think a lot of people did. Bucks, Celtics. That's what we're gonna get. I just don't feel super confident in the Bucks. So as of right now, I I don't see them getting to that point in the season. I don't mind it. I mean, I I might end up picking them because like I feel like I always do. I think Brennan talked about that earlier. Like yeah, I feel like I always lean towards Milwaukee at the end of the day. But I gotta remember that that's not the same team. And maybe they'll maybe they'll look maybe make me look back as I always feel like I'm low on Philly too. <laughs> so I don't know who to pick if it's not one of those teams. Oh, Miami. it's just the no, Miami no, no, Heat. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> I, I intentionally did not say anything about Miami on this entire podcast because I keep I don't believe in Miami. I, it's infamous. I don't I don't believe, I don't believe in Miami. I, I don't get it. I'll never get it. I don't get it at all. Same thing this year. I don't understand how they're winning. They're I don't know. But. Uh, no, I I think that was an elaborate plot for Chris to just pick the Cavs to make the Conference Finals. It's kind no, of it's kind no, of what I see now. If, if if I did that, I should be like tarred and feathered for being a homer. I kid, Chris. I kid. I think you might be right. We'll see. Sixers make one good trade, and it's going to be a lot easier to pick them. Like right now, we might feel like Nick Batum and you know Marcus Morris begging for minutes via the media and all this weird stuff. But like they get one more above average role player and it's like all right sign me up philadelphia in the conference finals and they might do it daryl has the capital you know like they Mm -hmm. they got the it's just the the whole weird subplot of daryl insisting on having flexibility out 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 the wazoo for the for the offseason is interesting because at some point he might have to not have that but it might also mean that like 
they're going to be a contender. So, like, why wouldn't you just maybe dip into that a little bit at the deadline? Yeah, I agree. That'll be interesting in a lot of ways. Much more in on Philly than I would have thought. That's that's maybe, like... Oh, I agree. The category clean, but I'm just... Well, Maxi's just better. I mean, I've always loved I've always, yeah, loved, exactly. Ma- I've always loved Maxi. Honestly, I had Maxi in my top eight or nine in that draft, and he went twenty first or whatever it was. I was very in on Maxi. I thought the Hawks. I thought the Hawks might consider him at six, and he went twenty first. But I also thought he was more of a third guard and more of an off ball guy. And the fact that he's become this level of distributor and on ball creator at, at like playing full time point guard is not something that I had I had on my big old card. So he's been awesome. Brendan, any any final things you you we gotta we gotta hit on here before we wrap up this Eastern Conference conversation? No, I'm a I'm a West supremacist, so I I, I I humored you guys for an hour, but you know, really, it's just hate over here. I did not choose this topic. I want that on the record on this podcast. I was I was asked to talk about the Eastern Conference by the two of you, Brad. It's, who's more like it's geographic? Like, it's it's not your fault, but. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's your fault for living in Atlanta. Brad, if I'd ask you today, which team is more likely to make a surprise run of the Eastern Conference Finals, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Atlanta Hawks, who is it? Uh, Cavs. Um, I think the I mean, just given the record, like the Cavs last year were better than the Hawks have been at any point other than a two-month stretch in 2021. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the common sense answer. I do think that the Hawks might push in more than the Cavs do. I think the Hawks might, you know, the, the Siakam thing popped up today. That that got reported again, that their Hawks are still kicking around. And I, I've heard that too. Like, it never really stopped. It's just that the season started. And, like, you, you don't make a trade for a star in September or October. It just doesn't, doesn't happen unless it's James Harden and, like, he makes them do that. So, like, people got excited about that about the Siakam report. And I was like, this just didn't stop. It wasn't like there was any sort of break and restart it's just that they they like siakam but if they did something like that then maybe it swings to the hawks but i think as constructed oh. it's it's cleveland for sure there's actually one last thing that i uh someone in our on our locked on group dm put in on twitter that i wasn't i just i had to fact check and i still can't believe it's true the last time detroit won a game james harden still played for the 76ers uh that that tracks um Pretty they don't bad. win they don't win very often i, I gotta be honest with you about that um, so, yeah. Pretty bad. All right, we live, let's end we live, there. We live in a, we live in a, in a we weird li- society, folks. We live in a society um, where the Pistons just have, like, 900 senders. And they lost at home, contract. like, decisively to the Wizards. Like, decisively. That was that was I, not good. It was just not you good. should get you should get relegated to the G League for like a week if you, that happens. If you lose to sites, like lose to the Wizards, like that's going to happen. But maybe one twenty six to one oh seven at home. Yeah, in a game where they were not on a back to back, where they obviously thought, hey, this is one, this is one, the one we, we, we might actually win, and they got run off the floor by Washington. Right, I got it. I have a I have a friend from college who's a Pistons and Michigan fan, and there's been like some, there was a week there where during the Pete Carbaugh investigation stuff, and then the Pistons decline, where I I was a little worried about him. He was just really being like, I love Marcus Sasser, and I'm like, okay, this is not going well for you. I'm not, I do too. Brendan's loving this conversation too. I, I can see the look in Brendan's eye right now. He's he's really dialed in on this at the end. I don't know how we got back to the worst team in the conference. This is your co-host this is just bleak talk. Yeah, it's the my, Detroit it's Pistons. My fault. Yeah. Anyway, we're celebrating the greatness of Tyrese Maxey, and then Chris was like, "Remember, the Pistons are still bad." 
remember the Pistons? I do. Uh, there was a, there was an alarming uh, lack of Wizards talk on this on this show, and I did that on purpose. No, so. So, so look, someone, a friend of mine described Jordan Poole as playing basketball with keys in his pocket, and I just can't think of anything else other than than that's the energy that that team has, and I just yeah, it's bad. It's not. There's some real there are some real stinkers in the league this year, and it's. I, I think that it's it's because of teams like Detroit and teams um, like Washington and I think like Portland out west that there's just some real bad, bad, bad teams this year that it feels worse than normal at the bottom to some degree to me. There you have it. A nice positive way to end the podcast about the Eastern Conference. Hey, you know what? The Celtics are really good. There's a lot of really quality teams. We love the Orlando Magic here. There's the Orlando. Brett, honestly, I like the Hawks. I, 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 I like the mm-hmm. Hawks. Sure. Yep, that's a team. I think I might like the Hawks more than you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I was way, way more optimistic about the Hawks uh, until literally about five days ago. Uh, yeah, Jalen Johnson's good, and like the wind very, is the wind is out of my yeah. sails a little bit right now on the Atlanta professional basketball team. But that's okay. We all uh, your team every day. That's what I. Uh, that's my mantra. That's right. <laughs> so. Let's end there. I'm Chris Manning. That has been Brendan Clean. Thanks again to Brad Rowan for coming through. We'll talk to y'all next time on the Just Basketball Show.